This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now, and I'm Raghu Marcus. This week we are going to have a subject or a talk whose subject is a talk by Ramdas whose subject is uh, Reflections on Suffering. That's uh, certainly common denominator for everybody. Everybody and that's got a human body that is uh, endemic to us all, suffering. Remember the Buddha and the Four Noble Truths. Ramdas actually talks about that a little bit in the in this talk, and um, I just wanted to bring my own take uh, on uh, some of what uh, what he was talking about. Uh, it's interesting because over the years, I I mean, he talks here about um, if you're to see someone else's beauty, you first have to be able to acknowledge your own beauty. Isn't that a huge one? And uh, in a similar way, if you're going to be able to be available for someone else's suffering, you have to acknowledge your own suffering. I mean, that is a prerequisite, both of those things, to be able to be of any service to anybody around us. And um, I do remember in my own life, not ag- I, just being a lot of pain, certainly when I was a kid, and into my teens, and so on and so forth, until I found the path of uh, of inner acknowledgement. Let's put it that way. Because many of us, it takes a while till we even acknowledge that there is something that can help transform uh, the suffering. And, uh, and as well, acknowledging that who we are deep, Behind, deeply behind all of the roles that we play and uh, all of the ways that we identify ourselves, um, you know, identifying that which is uh, wants beauty, wants love, wants to be of help to anybody, wants peace, wants compassion. Um, it's moving into that identification, which is really something that happened. Uh, and in my case, um, obviously, when I uh, met Ramdas, and uh, you know, and he spoke about how all of his own foibles and all of his own cottness, and we all could relate with that. But it was when I got to India. Now it's funny when you know we all have these weird names. I mean, they're not weird anymore. But, um, well, when Maharaji did give me my name, it was not Raghu. It was, uh, Raghu is a, like a nickname. It was Raghvindradas. And like, I got this name and I have this on the train after that. And some Indian people were in the cabin that I was in. I had just gotten a name and I'm like, wow, this is a great name. But wow, who could pronounce this thing? What am I going to do with this? And these people said, uh, uh, what is your good name? And uh, I th- thought, okay, perfect. Indian people, no problem. They're going to get it. And I said, Raghvindradas. 
and they went, huh? Could you please repeat? And I realized, okay, I'm pretty well screwed on this one. So it became ragu, but the level at which I was meaning to talk about it is that I started to relate with that human being inside me that was not controlled by uh, ego identity. And that's probably the reason that uh, Maharaji gave us these names, so that we could move and transform. Of course, then it turned out uh, I'm back in America and uh, Canada, and uh, I'm, I'm going to use this name. Nobody's going to call me by my real name, which is Mitchell. And uh, I started saying, don't call me that. Call me Ragu. And people wouldn't even get that. So I ended up going, you know, spaghetti sauce, spaghetti sauce. They get that. So I became Ragu of spaghetti sauce, which uh, interesting self-identification. Um, what else is he talking about? We're talking about the second noble truth, the cause of suffering. And Ramdas talks about the clinging of the mind. And uh, using one example is aging, right? Suffering comes into one who is aging if they are trying to hold on to youth. And uh, isn't that the nature of this culture that worships youth? And it's, you know, pretty tribal. You're over, well, used to be if you're over 30, you're finished. Now maybe it's 40. Um, and, uh, yeah, we all worshiped at that altar. And uh, uh, Ramdas put, put out a book, oh, I don't know, 10, 15, 12 years ago, something like that. Um, called Still Here. Fantastic book, by the way, uh, about uh, aging and the suffering with that. I, I was with him one time. I had gotten into it. I was about in the middle of that book, and I said, you know, Ram Dass, I can't take one more sentence of this book. It is absolutely killing me because I am so caught in every one of these examples of holding on. It's like making me sick. He laughed. Um, but isn't that a great example of clinging? I mean, you know, and that clinging extends outward to just about every aspect of life. Um, so what else did we talk about here? Um, once you uh, start to awaken, you start to look at your own life as now how it will help you grow. And and then you see that the reason you're suffering is because of the way you're clinging, going back to the clinging. Um, but you end up using all of that as transformational material. That's really what Tantra is, by the way. It's not about, you know, the what they call California Tantra, which is fun and games, sexual lovemaking at its extreme and, um, you know, uh, which uh, is not a bad thing either. But this Tantra we're talking about is being able to merge with that which is uh, in duality so that you come out the other side, basically. Um, and that's a very, very gross definition of that, folks. So don't quote me there. But uh, certainly uh, the idea that you use suffering to transform your life uh, is a... Um, it's been something that has been really prominent in 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 uh, 
in the teachings um, that uh, certainly that I have gone through, uh, and I love the the Tibetans, especially uh, the Tibetan Buddhist uh, teachers, and uh, have gone to many, including His Holiness. I think I've mentioned that before. Um, just the science of mind and the way that they deal with this and the antidotes that they have to all of these really disturbing thoughts and emotions and so on is amazing. And, uh, uh, of course, Ramdas gives many of this, uh, instruction through, uh, through the years and years of, uh, talks and lectures that he's been giving that are very invaluable. Um, in fact, a little prelude to a wonderful book that's coming out uh, next year that's going to be all about how to be here now. So we'll talk more about that as it comes along. It's just being finished. Ramdas is just uh, finishing working on it. Um, at, at the end of this part of the uh, talk that he gives, uh, he, he reads a letter by this Lama who was dying and wrote to his fr- best, one of his best friends. It's just an incredible letter. I, I, um, and, and the end of it is, is a poem. And this is the end of the poem uh, where he, um, he basically asks his friend to cultivate, and this is really for everybody, cultivate the precepts of transforming bad circumstances, the experiences of your suffering, those bad circumstances, circumstances, which are the experiences of your suffering into the very path of awakening. Again, using the, your day-to-day confrontation with pain, suffering, uh, into awakening. Now, of course, for the little things, it's we can really, oh boy, we can get into that. And then for the larger things where people are passing and people are suffering from various diseases that are causing tremendous pain, this is not so easy, but um, it is something to um, bear down on in terms of really listening to how we can transform these emotions and these thoughts and the pain and the suffering. So this is a, a really, this lecture is called Reflections on Suffering and it's, uh, it's excellent. So another thing is this cultivate uh, term. Um, I love that term and it's, it's, uh, Ramdas uses it here. Um, uh, actually there's a meditation at some point called, uh, Meditation on Suffering and Forgiveness. But, um, the cultivation term, um, is uh, appropriate right now, and I will mention this um, before we get into this talk by Ramdas. We are uh, we've just finished a uh, a film um, that we've edited. Uh, film meaning it's a uh, long form teaching from Ramdas Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, and Mirabai Bush called "Cultivating Loving Awareness," and it's uh, central if you've been at all. Tuning into Ramdas's webcasts or some of the other material on the site, um, it's 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 the essence of what he has been putting forth in the last oh year and a half or so about moving from identification with ego in your mind to the spiritual heart, to the true self, soul, whatever it is that you want to call that place, 
and uh, he talks about unconditional love and, you know, what loving awareness is and how you can be in that perch and be able to see your life in a different way and relate to people in a completely t- people environment um, and so on in a com- completely different way. It's an invaluable uh, a film. And on November 13th, it's going to be uh, premiered alongside of a uh, chat in the evening around 7.30 with Krishna Das and Ram Das taking questions. So that's uh, something I wanted to give everybody a heads up for. And you can go to ramdas.org and you can... Find the link there to sign up for it. It's free. We just, uh, as we do with this podcast, uh, all of this is only possible because of people like you that are supporting uh, the Love Server Remember Foundation, Ramdas's Foundation, representing uh, Maharaji, basically, and everything that's come through to many people, not just Ramdas teachers, uh, you know, from Krishnadas to uh, other teachers like Sharon and Danny Goldman and so on. Um, so enough talk and um please do uh go over to the site and check this whole thing out meanwhile um listen to this very uh, insightful talk from ramdas here and now now one of the things that makes makes relationships so difficult is the way in which we protect ourselves from suffering from our own and from each other's because when you love somebody you don't want to lay your suffering on them and your fears and also you're afraid that if you open your heart too far their suffering will overwhelm you because when you look at the world You just see suffering everywhere. If you scratch the surface of every person in this room, you will find that there is some suffering. And some people who are walking around here smiling at each other and sitting down and having wonderful, gentle conversations inside are have very, very deep pain and deep fear. But they have learned so well how to mask it from each other. And the culture reinforces that, saying, don't bring your pain to me. I only want your happiness. I'll put up with a little bit of it, but not much of it, because you'll scare me. Now, just as I said before, that if you are going to be able to deal with see somebody else's beauty you have to be able to acknowledge your own beauty in a similar way if you are going to be able to be available for someone else's suffering you have to be able to acknowledge your own suffering and be able to understand the nature of suffering in such a way that you have converted the quality of suffering in yourself Jeff, the Russian philosopher, said there is nothing that can be attained spiritually without suffering in life. But at the same time, 
If you are going to proceed on the journey, you must sacrifice suffering. You hear that dual nature of it. You have to have suffered because the suffering is what burns through you and brings, deepens the compassion and opens the door. Suffering brings you closer to the mystery. And at the same moment, if you hold on to the suffering and grab at it and sort of wallow in it or cling to it, it stops the journey. There is an understanding of suffering such that you don't invite suffering into your life, but when it comes, you work with it and transform it. I mean, the extreme of it is the Christian monk who's saying, God, God, give me more pain. Give me more suffering. Because I want to get closer to you. And Maharaji saying, do you like suffering or joy? And saying, I love suffering, it brings me so close to God. To understand the nature of suffering is the precondition for being able to convert it, to see the way in which suffering is grace. That suffering is a gift that's given to you to allow you to come home. Because, the, and the understanding is contained in the Buddha's first three noble truths. First one is there is suffering. Birth has suffering, death has suffering, sickness has suffering, aging has suffering, not getting what you want has suffering, getting what you don't want has suffering. Even getting what you want has suffering because it's in time and it's going to corrupt. So there's fear even in having what you want. So there's suffering inherent in being in form is the base rule. It's just built into it. It's not that Buddha was a downer. He was just pointing out, because people are so busy denying it, he was pointing out that that's an inherent nature of form. There is suffering. But then his second noble truth is the crux of the matter. He said, the cause of suffering in all of this is the clinging of mind. It's like you watch people age. I can feel as I age that the suffering would come if I held on to my youth. But to the extent that I open to these new sensations and new See, like if I could run the four-minute mile in ten minutes, and then as I get older, I can only run the four-minute mile in twenty minutes. If I'm living in a culture which only measures my adequacy in terms of how fast I run the four-minute mile, do you realize that age is my enemy? You realize that what I'm doing is making nature my enemy. I'm making the nature of things my enemy. Do you see the inherent problem in living in a culture which worships youth, which worships all of the qualities of power? It's a hunting and gathering. It's a, 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 a hunting tribe. Hunting tribe. 
And so the peak years are, I don't know, 1820 to 40, something like that. And then from then on, it's all downhill. And medical science allows us now to go on and on and on and on. So it's just slowly going down and down and down. If down is measured by these very narrow values, and if you look at the advertising in our culture, except for IRAs and insurance, <laughs> the numbers of images of older people are very, very few. There's a, they're treated as a minority group and given a certain fraction just out of, to keep them, to keep the, the retired people's association from getting up in arms politically. But now you can look at the essence of what the issue is. The issue is not the growing old, the issue is the clinging to a model of anything. Like you cling to a model of what beauty is. The fun I have is playing with that issue in the culture. Because as I always say in my lectures, I look at this hand, and you look at this hand now, and it's all getting wrinkled, and there's these blood veins and bones showing. There used to be all this skin. You never noticed that stuff, and now it's all wrinkly, and it's got spots on it. It's really incredible. I mean, just as an aesthetic experience, you know, if I didn't think it was my hand, just, just looking at that, it's really quite beautiful. I mean, it's got real character. And I love these spots, you know, they're really far out, these spots like these, you know. And I love that in the culture, the porcelana ad, it says, they call these aging spots, I call them ugly, <laughs> says a woman as she's putting on porcelana cream, see. And it's interesting that as you flip your consciousness and just start to allow the processes of nature to happen and stop pitting yourself against them, you're able to say, they call these ugly. I call them aging spots. <laughs> and there's just a, a kind of a relaxed appreciation of change instead of this feeling like it's all downhill and, oh, I don't feel, I used to be able to walk and now I can't walk, I've got to sit. Interesting about aging. I mean, when you, what have you been doing all week? You sit, you draw your awareness in from your ears and from your eyes, you follow your breath. Look what happens when you get old. You lose your hearing, you lose your sight, you got arthritis, you can't move. It's an absolutely perfect time for meditating. It's as if, it's as if God was giving you a little message saying, don't you think it's time you looked inside and you're saying, no, I'm, we're all young and you're busy being young. Well, now, it's wonderful to stay vital and stay active and stay all that and to take care of your body and treat it with respect and enjoy it. I, if you look at the myths of old age in this culture, it is showing all old people acting like young people and saying, isn't that wonderful? Well, it's wonderful and it stinks both. Because it is creating myths that create suffering. And myths that create suffering are evil. Because they increase paranoia and separateness. And I think there, is, there are really interesting, there's such unconsciousness in the way our culture works. 
And when you begin to be a little conscious, you can hardly bear what you're seeing, that it's all different than you thought it was. Now, um, so that the second noble truth is the clinging to the suffering, the clinging of mind is what creates the suffering. You watch it in dying. If people are holding to life, they're suffering about dying. If people are wishing they were dead, if they have a model they wish they were dead, they're suffering in living. If they wish they were rich, they're suffering because they're poor. And I have been with people now in other cultures where, you know, it absolutely dis it disoriented me for many, many times in India when I saw people who had so little that they were so far below our poverty line in this culture. And when I looked into their eyes, I saw a quality of peace and a quality of joy that I didn't see in the upper middle class in America. And it knocked into a hat the whole model I had that somehow there was an equation between economics and well and happiness. Now, that doesn't mean you deny that reality. There is a relative reality about it. And for many people, that's true. That's why you were going to recognize that different people suffer in different ways. And for you to interpret someone else's suffering on the basis of whether you would suffer in that condition is a fallacy. That you cannot assume that somebody else is suffering just because you would suffer in that circumstance. Or the opposite. Yes. And so that's where it becomes interesting that when you have learned to convert your own suffering, it is still not fair or appropriate to assume that someone else either wants to or can convert their suffering. And their suffering is very real for them. And you have to listen in each case to hear what the nature of the suffering is and how you alleviate it. As long as you're identified with your suffering, all you're hearing is your empathy about another person's suffering and your pity and your reactivity to their suffering, not your responsiveness to their suffering. And the game is to be responsive rather than reactive to suffering. So that once you begin to awaken, you start to look at your own life as how will it help me grow and then you see that the reason you are suffering is because of the way your mind is clinging and so that suffering starts to be a clue to you of the way your mind is clinging and otherwise you wouldn't notice that clinging and since you would like to work with letting go of the clingings of mind you begin to treasure the suffering because it shows you you treasure the anger because it shows you that a model you had was just disfirmed, disconfirmed. And when you get angry, when you get frustrated, when you get, when you get, um, when you, in all the ways you suffer, those are all clues to you that you just, your secret stash of clinging of mind was just uncovered. And you look and you say, ah, caught me again. And in a way, you get in, like for me, it's a dialogue with Maharaji where every time I'm caught in suffering, I see he's just chiding me, saying, oh, you think you're so free, try this one on. Try this. And it's interesting, especially when you start to deal with people who have dramatic life shifts, where they get a diagnosis or something like that that changes the whole meaning of their life. 
The question of how much they'll suffer is how quickly they can let go of who they used to be and be who they are now. To the extent that Kelly holds on to a model of himself as being, having the same body as you have, he is going to suffer. To the extent that he opens and says, this is what I'm working with, this is it. It's no better or worse, it's what I've got. Then he doesn't suffer. That's a hard one because it looks, your projection into him is that he must suffer because of that body. Because you would suffer because of your attachment to your flexibility and freedom and so on. But can you imagine, I mean, from a bird's point of view, we must all be suffering terribly. I mean, look at those poor things, my God, and that's true, a human body is suffering, just going into one is a real drag. I mean, it's a, you may be, feel really light and all, but wait, it'll decay, and even when it's feeling light, it's so limited, you can't do a lot of things with it. It's really a kind of a ponderous process, you know. Now, dealing with suffering is not, you know, it's, it's hard work. It's hard work. I'm not trying to make it all light and ha 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 and isn't this all fun. This is damned hard work. And just these t two quotes. Um, one of these from um, uh, Aeschylus. It says, Pain falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of of God, the awful grace of God. In other words, that part of us which is separate is screaming about the suffering. The part of us that's awakening is working to extract the wisdom from it. And it is an intense, a profoundly intense experience. And it is an experience in which suffering brings people closest to the possibility of awakening. That is what is so addictive to me about working with people that have diseases, that have all kinds of things like I'm working with AIDS people more and more, that are people that are dying as they're approaching death. Because those are the moments when their models are collapsing, when they are most ripe for a spiritual awakening. That's the most exciting time. When everybody's got it going just right, they are fast asleep into their models for the most part. It's interesting because it really flips the game around and you begin to see in the way in which suffering awakens. And then when you want to be an instrument for helping people awaken and want to awaken yourself through being with other awakening people, you gravitate towards people that are suffering. Not because you're a sadist or because of anything, just other, not from a psychological thing, from a spiritual point of view, because it's where the most living force is in human relations. And yet everybody, out of their fear, is making believe it's not happening. You, well, that's, we're working on it. <laughs> we're working on it, step by step, bit by bit. Now, this is a very powerful uh, letter from um, Lama Yeshi, who died recently, who was a very um, fine Tibetan Lama. And he became very ill. And uh, this shows, here was somebody who had deep spiritual practices, and he had a hard time. And I want you to hear it, because I want you to hear that it isn't easy. And But follow the letter through to its course. Some of the language is a little uh, alien to you, because he's speaking to a fellow Lama. He's written a letter to a fellow Lama. Due to my right and left channels, I got this from Jack Cornfield, by the way. Due to my right and left channels being filled with the violent movement of thought winds and overflowing out of control, 
beyond the capacity of my ordinary heart to cope with it. And in order to safeguard myself, I was forced to place this difficult-to-find body of leisure and endowments, and endowments in the hands of a strange doctor. Upon examining for a half an hour, he advised that I must definitely go to, into the intensive care unit of the hospital. Believing that this was the case, I asked him to protect my life. Never have I known the experiences and sufferings which then followed. First, unending injections throughout the day and night. Second, because the capacity of my heart to pump oxygen was impaired, and in order to breathe, I used an oxygen tank from which a tube ran through my nose. This was never disconnected, the only way I could breathe, and caused great discomfort day and night. Third, I had to constantly take other medicines, sometimes more than ten pills at a time, many times a day. Due to this medication, my body was powerlessly overcome by pain every two hours, and my memory degenerated. I had no appetite for more than a month, and whatever food I did eat, I threw up and suffered further. Some days, I could not do even the slightest bit of my prayers. My cousin came to see me, and I asked him to recite the mandala of the regeneration of the body, and listened with great effort. But often in my mind's confusion, my speech would become garbled, I would laugh at myself and then weep and be sad. I experienced and understood the confused mind in the deepest way, even in regards to the merest effort to say a sentence. It is extremely difficult to maintain understanding and balance without becoming confused during the stages of death, when the inner elements are being absorbed. It was that at this time that I felt the power of my mind really degenerating. When I tried to think about different things and ideas, my mind became confused. It had been 41 days since I became ill. The condition of my body was such that I had become the lord of a cemetery. My mind was like that of an anti-god, and my speech like the barkings of an old mad dog. Now I still take 16 pills a day, and because I must depend on others for moving about and sleeping, and because my hand still shakes when I write, please, my dear Dharma brother, please, my dear Dharma brother, read this letter depending on the meanings intended and not upon the mere words spoken. These experiences I am relating to you, my pledged spiritual brother, keep them from hard-headed logicians. In other words, don't let people who wouldn't understand it hear this. After my ability to recite prayers of ordinary words degenerated, and after these great sufferings, I considered what to do. Finally, I began stabilizing meditation with strong mindfulness and introspection. I am grateful for the years of training I had. By the power of this, there began to arise some clarity of mind. Within this state, I continued stabilizing meditation with great effort, and this was of much benefit though the enemies of lethargy and confusion often overcame my meditation. I was reminded of the time we received the teachings together, my brother, from our guru, and all of the kindnesses that have been bestowed upon me in this lifetime. During this time, though, I received hundreds of letters. I was not allowed to read them. But thinking of you, the strength of my mind increased and my problems have lessened. So I end with a poem that I've written for you. Practice and meditate, training the heart, the sole remedy for coming to terms with our sufferings. The main object of cultivation of awe-inspiring yogis, 
path followed by great saints of all ages. You need a happy mind, a conscientious mind, and an open heart. Especially you must learn to cultivate the precepts of transforming bad circumstances, the experiences of your suffering, into the very path of awakening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate all the support for the Foundation and for Ramdas's work, and we hope that you will continue that support. You can go to Ramdas.org and click on the Donate Now button and follow the prompts. Thank you.